At the Canaan Church, our mission is bringing people to Christ and helping every person to become a mature disciple in Christ. Canaan Christian Church, where people dare to dream. The study that I'm getting ready to lead you in today is <clears throat> without question one of, if not the most important study that I will lead you in this year. Now I'm going to pause on what I just said because that statement should have raised your eyebrows. So let me say it again. The study that I'm getting ready to lead you in today and for the next several weeks under the theme, The Order of the House, is one of, if not the most important study that I'm going to lead us in this year. All right? Now, we can, we can praise God for it, but more than the praise, what I hope what I just said did is cause your eyes to open spiritually. And I hope that it brings about a spiritual consciousness and a holy discontent in your spirit. Amen. Um, I want to continue to lovingly encourage you to reach out to people who are unchurched and unsaved and seek to bring them with you to the Bible study on Wednesday, along with using your salt and light to encourage other people in our church family who are already saved, who are part of our church family, but who may not be making it to the Bible study, that you reach out and bring them with you as well. Now, the statement I just made, you have heard it one million times. You've heard it. You, you could wake up at midnight and quote what I just said. The question is, what have you done with what I just said? And the propensity for us is to hear it but don't do anything with it. Because we have a tendency to be maybe more religious than being Christian. The study that I'm going to lead us in is a study that's going to be addressing what I just said, but it's going to help you understand it biblically in terms of literally scriptures and bring into our awareness what God has really saved us for. Can I see the hands of the people who are saved? Amen. All right, Pastor, I'm a Christian. Now, <clears throat> this study that I'm going to lead us in again is under the theme, The Order of the House. Let's all say that together. The Order of the House. I want you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to start reading with verse 13. Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to start reading with verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? 
So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell of Hades shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth, whatever you bind on heaven, will be bound, whatever you bind on earth, I'm sorry, will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Amen. This year, we are celebrating throughout the whole year the 40th church anniversary of the Canaan Church. The third Sunday in March will be the literal Sunday that we will have the quote-unquote official celebration of the 40th year church anniversary. In 40 years, unquestionably, the Lord has brought the Canaan Christian Church from a mighty long ways in 40 years. And we're celebrating it all year long. Um, 97 people started the Canaan Church. Several of those persons who were a part of the 97 have gone home to be with the Lord. Most recently, our dear sister Sandra Calvin went home the other week to be with the Lord. So the number is getting smaller and smaller, Julie and Dolores, of the 97. At some point, if the Lord doesn't come first, at some point, if the Lord doesn't come first, the Canaan Church will be continuing to thrive and do ministry, but none of the 97, Jackie, will be present. At some point, Pastor Malone won't be here, Sister Malone won't be here, and none of the 97 will be here. Our children will be here. And so it is important for us right now, not later, right now, to understand who is the Canaan Christian Church? Who are we as a church? Where did we come from and how did we get to where we are? If you were not a part of that 97, it may be hard for you to grasp what I'm about to say, because some things you almost have to be there. You can hear it, you can hear it, and you can hear it. But if you wasn't there, you just may not be able to put your hands around it. Because the Canaan Church was birthed in 1983 out of a prayer service. God blessed us in 1983 
to have a contemporary Pentecost Sunday, like unto the day of Pentecost that the early church had in the upper room. We were in the basement of Little Flock Baptist Church. The Reverend Wellington Johnson was the pastor of the church at that time. And in that basement on a Wednesday evening, the spirit of the living God came in like a mighty rushing wind and set upon us as cloven tongues of fire. When we came together for prayer, we didn't come together with an agenda to start a church. We came together to pray because 97 people said, Pastor, we, we, we want to talk to you. We want to, let's, let's pray, let's pray. And out of that prayer, a church was birthed. We didn't have an offering plate to put the offering in. We had no programs. We had no official ministries. We had no place to have church. Pastor, what did you all have? All we had was God and one another. Period. Now, Julie, Sister Hector, you all were there. Jackie Cuby, you were there. That's all we had. Now, if you wasn't there, I know you can't really, I don't care what I say, you ain't going to see it. You just about had to been there. That's all we had. Sister Nancy Dimatra in the press service stood up and said, Pastor, we can have worship at Magazine Street Seventh-day Adventist Church starting this Sunday as long as we need. I said, Sister Dimatra, what you talking about? We can have church at Magazine Street, 7th Avenue. What church? We just came to pray. <laughs> what church are you talking about? And before I could about get that sentence out, another person said, Pastor, I'll print the programs for worship. We'll take it over to Kinko's. Somebody else said, we'll go to Life White, Pastor, and buy some offering plates. Barbara Rosa, who's gone home to be with the Lord, said, Pastor, y'all can have choir rehearsal in my living room. I got a piano there. Lucille Fresh, who's gone home to be with the Lord, said, Pastor, I'll direct the choir. Lynn Rosa, who is now another last name, she's married, that's Barbara Rosa's daughter, said, I'll play one of the instruments. Carla Coleman, who's now Carla Butler, said, I'll play the other instrument. Just different people started standing up saying, I'll do this, I'll do that. About that time, screaming, hollering, shouting, broke out. That Sunday, we met at Magazine Street Seventh-day Adventist Church. 
I preached that Sunday morning, making do with broken pieces. 17 people joined that morning. About seven others joined that evening at Bible study. That's where we came from. In the last 40 years, the Canaan Church has become not just one of the most recognized African-American churches, black churches in Louisville, Kentucky. We are one of the most recognized and respected African-American black churches in America in 40 years. The other churches in this city that I think would stand at that level of what I'm talking about are far older than we are, 100 years old and older. And people tend to think that Canaan is that old because we've grown so large, come so far in such a short period of time. But I say again, we're only 40 years old. Everyone who has joined our church, uh, particularly since we got out here on Hikes Lane, you are the beneficiaries of the commitment and the consecration of the people who made up this church before you got here. And you need to be thanking God every day for them because there would be no Canaan church here for you to have joined and be blessed the way you're being blessed if it hadn't been for the people on Dixie Highway. And even the people who came from Dixie Highway, if, if, if you wasn't a part of the Canaan church, I'd say in the first five to maybe seven years, you came from Dixie Highway, but you, you, you wasn't in the first five or seven years. In like manner, you are a beneficiary of the commitment of other people. And that's important for you to grasp because you should never take lightly nor take for granted when God allows you to receive blessings that was passed on to you from other people. Because we're in this sanctuary today not by accident, not by happenstance, but because of something that we did that was biblically based Christ-centered and honored God. Let me say it again. We're not here today by accident, by happenstance. Um, no, we're here because of what we did that was biblically based, Christ-centered, and it honored God. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. Sister Bo Cotton is sitting here in the sanctuary. Her husband, Brother James Cotton, he's still alive. 
He's at a nursing home in Madisonville, Kentucky. He was not a charter member. They may have joined two or three years after the church got started. He served as the coordinator of our trustee ministry. You talk about committed. You talk about consecrated. You talk about love the Lord. They didn't come better than Jim Cotner. He's not dead. His picture hangs in the wall in the Hosey Bradley room. But it hangs there because of his commitment to Jesus Christ. Every trustee right now at this church who serves as a trustee ought to thank God every day for James Cotton. Because they are the beneficiaries of the commitment that they saw in him. Are y'all listening to me? And what I want to do over the next several weeks is I want us to understand this under the theme, the order of the house. The order of the house. Do you know how many churches have been hanging around for umpteen years and ain't gone nowhere? Been hanging around for umpteen years and have never grown. Hanging around for umpteen years and have made little to no difference in the lives of people or in the city in which they exist. And I don't say that putting an accent on negativity. I say that by just speaking the truth. I was, I was with my friend Bishop Noel Jones one year. We were in Texas. He had to preach for T.D. Jakes that night. He asked me to come and be with him, so I went. Service started at 7 o'clock, and at 9 o'clock we were at the restaurant having dinner. And he must have preached that night to some seven to 10,000 people. On the way to the restaurant, he said to me, Walter, he said, there's a reason why some churches grow and there's a reason why some churches never grow. And I said to him, you're right. In my library and among the things that I have in the world, what I treasure perhaps at the top of the list in terms of things I may possess is my library, my books. And um, in the category of books that have been written about church growth and church development, I have a host of books, Brother Gilbert, a host. But three of the top books in that category would be a book by Andy Stanley entitled Deep and Wide. A second book is by Charles Swindoll, and it's entitled Church Awakening, uh, The Urgent Need for Renewal. And a third book is written by 
Rick Warren entitled The Purpose Driven Church. He wrote that book, The Purpose Driven Church, before he wrote the book, The Purpose Driven Life. I want to use Andy Stanley and Charles Swindoll's ministry to help carve out what God did for Canaan. Because when I read um, Andy Stanley's book and when I read Charles Swindoll's book, I began to see the similarities between those ministries and the ministry of the Canaan church in terms of what God did. And the reason why there was a similarity is because in all three instances, what took place was biblically based and Christ-centered. Andy Stanley, he is the pastor and the founder of the North Point Community Church in Atlanta, Georgia. North Point Community Church in Atlanta, Georgia. And again, the title of the book is Deep and Wide. Andy Stanley's premise is that a church needs to be deep in commitment to Christ and wide in ministry and service to others. Andy Stanley is the son of Dr. Charles Stanley. You perhaps recall seeing him on television for many years, pastor of the First Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia. Andy Stanley is a PK, he's a preacher's kid. And he was serving with his father at the church in Atlanta. The church in Atlanta was growing. The First Baptist Church in Atlanta was downtown Atlanta. And so they were wanting to, they were wanting to buy land and to move out of the downtown area so that they could have the capacity to grow more. We were on Dixie Highway um, at Canaan. We, 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 we was at Magazine Street for, for Seventh-day Adventist Church for 11 months. And then we raised $100,000 in 11 months. There's an article in the Jose Bradley Room in the Courage Journal that says, one-year-old church sacrifices to buy their first building. Read it. It's in the Jose Bradley Room. One-year-old church didn't have chicken dinners, didn't have fish fries, didn't have bake sales, didn't have um, baby contests. One-year-old church gave biblically. Above the tithes and offering, they gave sacrificially. People canceled uh, vacations. People sold things that they had. People borrowed the money. They gave. In fact, they gave $1,000. That's what they gave. And in less than a year, we raised $100,000. I went to National City Bank 
to borrow, try to borrow the rest of the money we needed to buy our first facility. Our first facility cost us $500,000. I wanted to talk to Mr. Morton Board at National City Bank. I had a good relationship with Mr. Board. He said, Pastor, says, I don't think I can get our board to approve that right now because you're, you're not that old as a church. I didn't get mad. I understood he was right. We were less than a year old. Then I went to Burke Klein at Bank of Louisville. Burke Klein said, how much money you raised? I said, 100,000. He said, less than a year? I said, yeah. He says, we're going to loan you the money. He said, you may be a risk, but you're a good risk. Amen. He says, anybody that can raise $100,000 in a church in less than a year, you're a good risk. So we bought our first building on Dixon Highway, 500,000, put 100,000 down. We grew, we grew, we grew. So we bought the property adjacent to the church facility because we didn't want to get boxed in. So we added on to the property by buying the adjacent property. We grew and we grew. We built a $1.2 million facility on Dixie Highway. Beautiful facility. We built that facility, $1.2 million, and with nothing but tithes and offering. Everybody tithe, everybody give the offering above the tithe. I told the people who started out with me that the only way we will financially undergird this ministry is according to the word of God. We ain't going to do nothing other than what God's word teaches us to do. And it's going to require that everybody be committed to it. I said to them, if we lose what God gave us, it ain't nobody's fault but our own. But I refuse to be involved in shenanigans, game playing, and doing anything that is not according to the word of God. The people followed me as I followed Christ. We built that $1.2 million facility. And let me back up just a minute. The first building we bought, the mortgage note was for 15 years. We paid it off in seven. Amen. Nothing but tithes and offering. Nothing but tithes and offering. Then we built a $1.2 million facility. We kept growing. Um, people were parking on the grass on the property, parking everywhere, parking down Dixon Highway, down the street, two and three blocks. Folks say to me the next day, some pastor, how was your service, Malone? I said, man, it was Negro fabulous. I said, Negroes were everywhere. Cars parked everywhere. 
we went to two services. Still, cars parked everywhere. It looked good on a Sunday when the sun was shining. But when it rained, we had a problem. Because you couldn't park in that grass because you're going to get stuck. I said to the deacons and the trustees of our church, I said, we're going to have to do something. And we were first trying to buy the other houses going down Wathen Lane, house worth about maybe, maybe 40000 max. Folks said they want $100,000 for their house. <laughs> I said, the devil is a lie. You, can keep, you and the devil can keep the house. They just wanted to take advantage because they knew the church needed the property. So I told, I told, I told the officers, but we got to keep praying because we got to do something because we, we got a challenge here. And that's what brought us out here because we needed space, we needed property, we needed land if we were going to continue to grow. Now I'm going to let you in on a revelation today. A lot of churches don't want to grow. It ain't that they can't grow. They don't want to grow. We satisfied with me, my Aunt Susie, Uncle George, and our three cousins. We a family church. We want to stay the same size we are. They have no plans to grow, no purpose to grow. And some of that has to do with the fact that they don't want to grow because they don't know this book called the Bible. So they don't know what a church is biblically. They don't know what a church is biblically. And neither do they understand what is the purpose of the church biblically. Are you listening to me? Andy Stanley's church, North Point Community Church in Atlanta, was birthed out of First Baptist Church in Atlanta that needed more space to grow and to develop. Um, the church that Charles Swindoll gave birth to experienced the same thing in terms of dramatic growth. He was on radio doing a Bible study on radio. And he told his wife, says, let's take the, from the radio and do something in person. So they rented space at a country club. And the first time they had the Bible study at the country club, 300 people showed up. And about the fourth meeting, something like that, they was up to 1,000 people. Someone said that at that time, they were the fastest growing church in America. They wasn't, they wasn't three months in, maybe. Maybe a thousand people in attendance. They had to do something because the growth demanded it. First Baptist Church in Atlanta um, 
bought a warehouse out of downtown, out in the suburban area, bought a warehouse, uh, and they wanted to use it to handle the overflow until the sale of the property downtown in which they would get some other property to then do the uh, new facility at the new property site. This was just to hold them in the meantime. Andy Stanley, the son of Charles Stanley and six other persons, all of them were like young adults, were asked to go to the warehouse to do this service, this overflow over there. And he said when he was asked to do it, it wasn't something that he really thought was exciting or to do, but he says, you know, if somebody got to do it, daddy, I'll do it. He went and six other persons went with him and they had um, about 800 people to show up the first service. As it continued, the North Campus kept growing. They didn't have these kind of luxuries like they had at First Baptist Church. It was a warehouse. So they were just putting down folding chairs. They didn't have no nice pulpit area. They just did a makeshift stage. They, they didn't have no, no big choir, so they just developed like a praise team. They had another section of the warehouse where they just turned it into a place to have a place for the children. And with that setting, Andy Stanley said, they told folk, come dressed as you are. See, First Baptist downtown, you wore suits. The ladies wore dresses. You know, high church. High church. I'm a member of First Baptist. But over here, we wear jeans. Ladies can wear pants. You, you don't have to have a dress on. Very casual. Andy Stanley said what he and his friends decided is we want to grow a church like the early church in the Bible. We want a church that can appeal to the unchurched. We ain't trying to grow a church for the churched. We want a church where the unchurched are attracted to. What started out as to be a temporary overflow ended up becoming a solid church. And the Stanley's father, Charles Stanley, he and his wife ended up having a divorce. First Baptist Church ended up having division. And Andy Stanley in the book talks about how he had to pray through my mom and my daddy having a divorce. Had to pray through First Baptist becoming a divided church. Had to pray through. Here I am at the warehouse and we growing. And so God, what does that mean? 
in light of the disruption in my family and in the disruption at First Baptist. He says, but by the grace of God, he said, my father and I, we never allowed it to become a place where the enemy could have victory. And we prayed it through and we were able to go on with the North Point Community Church. Both Andy Stanley and Charles Swindoll, they both make reference to this passage we just read as the passage for our basis of study today, Matthew 16. The question is raised by Jesus, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Some say John the Baptist, Jeremiah, Elijah. Then he says, but who do you say that I, the Son of Man, am? Who do you say I am? Peter speaks up and says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus says to Peter, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my Father which is in heaven. Upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. If you are a student of the Bible, there's certain things you ought to know by now. One is you ought to know that Jesus didn't come preaching church. In his three-year ministry, what he talked about, what he preached was the kingdom of God. Now I'm gonna say that again, because some of us have been in church all our lives and ain't, and ain't caught that don't understand that. We act as though he came preaching church. He did not come preaching church. What he came preaching and teaching, what he revealed was the kingdom of God. And it was this vision of the kingdom of God that would ultimately be entrusted to the church. So one of the questions that people ought to ask and grapple with is who is Jesus? Who is he? That's a good question today. And that's a question that uh, still there are people who are asking. The problem of the church today is we don't know how to answer it. Maybe because we ain't clear on who he is. But there are people asking, who is Jesus? There are people looking for God. They need to know that God is real and that he is authentic. Who is Jesus? Five major religions in the world, they say. Christianity, Judaism, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam. Well, I'm, I'm not of the nation of Islam. So I ain't confessing hope in Allah. I'm not Buddhist, so I'm not putting my trust in Buddha. I'm not Jewish, so I'm not still waiting on the Messiah. I'm not Hindu, so I'm not worshiping the God that they may ascribe to. I'm only worshiping Jesus Christ. So when somebody asks me, why are you a Christian? And who is this Christ? 
that you put your hope and faith in, I need to be able to give them an intelligent response. I need to be able to talk about who I believe in and why. That's a good question. Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And based on that profession of faith, Jesus says, I'm going to build my church. Now, the other thing that you ought to understand when you study the Bible, Jesus did his earthly ministry for only three years. Three years. Um, he offended most of the people who heard him. He was not a success model according to the world. He did ministry for three years. He ended up dying, being executed in one of the most horrific and horrendous, humiliating deaths that a person could die. He was crucified like a common criminal. Buried in another man's tomb. Who would want to put their hope in him? His, his immediate disciples fled at his crucifixion, hiding out for fear that what happened to him would happen to them. His followers said, yeah, he died, we were there, Everybody there knew died. But we want you to know he got up from the grave. Who's supposed to believe that? Who's supposed to believe that? Would you have believed it? Tell the truth. And then they go wait in an upper room on a promise made by the resurrected Christ who they said that they saw alive. When you read the Bible and you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you re read Acts, and on the day of Pentecost, here's the early church in an upper room waiting on the fulfillment of a promise, the Holy Spirit coming. It is literally unfathomable. It is past amazing that the church of God grew. It's, it's past being able to articulate that they survived when you really think about it. The, at, when, the, when the Christian church was birthed, they were not called Christians. They were called people of the way. They were looked upon as a sect, S-E-C-T. They, 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 were, they were looked upon as a, um, a type of um, uh, heresy some strange group, nothing of any spiritual 
uh, integrity. They were looked upon as just a type of sect. But Jesus said, upon this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. He promised that it would survive. Peter preached one sermon at Pentecost. They went from 120 to a congregation of 3,120. And Acts 2.42 says they continued in the apostles' doctrine, breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayer. Amazing. And I'm not going to get to it today. I'm looking at the clock. But next Wednesday, I'm going to take you through Acts and show you scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture, where it just keeps saying they grew and they grew and they grew and they grew, and they grew. Jesus never traveled more than 100 miles from where he was born in the manger. Um, he never wrote a book. And I just told you, three years teaching the kingdom, performing miracles, Speaking not as the Pharisees and the scribes, but as one who had authority. And when you look at his life, there's nothing about it that says that what he started would have longevity. But today, people in every continent on the planet have put their hope in this man, Jesus Christ. And his church is still here. You and I, as professors of Christ, if we are authentic, we are a part of that church. Now you didn't hear me say Baptist. You didn't hear me say Methodist. You didn't hear me say Pentecostal symbols of the world. You didn't hear me say Church of God in Christ. You didn't hear me say Presbyterian. You didn't hear me say Lutheran. You didn't hear me say uh, Catholic. You didn't hear me say Episcopalian. You heard me say, if we are authentic, we are part of that church. Open their eyes, God. He ain't coming back for the Baptists, for the Methodists, for the Church of God in Christ, for the Pentecostal Assemblies of the world, for Episcopalians, for the Lutherans, for the Catholics, for the Presbyterians. He's coming back for his church. I don't care what your flag is. I don't care whether it's a Baptist flag or a Pentecostal flag. What is really important is, is your name in the Lamb's book of life? 
Um, let me try to cover this one little piece here. I, I wrote some of this down because I want to be very accurate what I tell you, and you can read it in these books. Um, when the early church started, um, the Roman Empire was against the early church. They, um, the, many Christians became martyrs. They were put in lion's dens and in prisons and suffered horrible death because of their commitment to Christ because they wouldn't worship the king. They would not say Curios Caesar. They would only say Curios Christ. Um, but Constantine would end up one day becoming the emperor of Rome. Constantine. In AD 313, Constantine, the emperor of Rome, legalized Christianity in the Roman Empire. That's major. The empire that was against the faith, now Constantine legalizes the Christian faith. What's also uh, monumental is that Constantine declared himself a Christian. Before Constantine's rise to power, Christian worship was relatively, re relatively informal, meaning there were no church edifices. There were no church buildings. People before Constantine, they just worshiped in houses. Very informal, no liturgy. It was informal. No choirs, it was informal. The apostles taught the word. People believed they shared the faith. After Constantine's conversion, Powerful people brought their former notions of worship with them as they professed belief in Christ and began influencing Christian communities. After Constantine became a Christian, one of the major changes concerning the Christian faith is it moved from house worship, that which was informal, and it started becoming more institutional. People of power, people of influence brought, as they professed faith in Christ, they brought with them their past religious history. So things started taking more of a shape of an institution. The Christian faith was launched to be a movement. But it started becoming a localized building. It started becoming an institution without a movement consciousness. Let me share just a tad more. I got to stop. 
In the text we read, Matthew 16, upon this rock I build my what? Church. church. The word church there is the word ecclesia. Everybody say ecclesia. And ecclesia is made up of, comes from two Greek words, a compound word, ek out, kaleo, call. So ecclesia literally means the called out ones. Um, the Romans allowed each of these gathering places a basileia. That's the Latin word used to denote a public building. Basileia, basileia is a Latin word used to denote a public building. Let me go back to the word ecclesia. Ecclesia, in one sense, means called out ones. But ecclesia is a word, Greg, that in terms of the etymology of the word, the background of the word, it don't mean church. Ecclesia just means a gathering of people. That's all. So there could be a gathering of people for many different reasons in the Roman Empire other than church. It's gathering. The church was initiated by Jesus to be a people who gather and then scatter. Because at the end of the day, what we're supposed to be is a movement. Someone asked me when I was on Dixon Highway, are you the pastor of the Canaan Church, Curtis? And I said, yes. They said, where is your church located? I said, I don't know. They got mad at me. They said, they said I'm gonna ask you again, aren't you the pastor of the Canaan Church? I said, yes. Well. I'm asking you again, well, where's your church? I said, I think what you're trying to ask me is where's the building? Now, the building where the church gathers is at such and such address on Dixon Highway. But you didn't ask me where the building was. You asked me where's the church. So I had to, did a, had to do a two-minute Bible study. I said, the church is not the building. The church is the people. I gave a benediction in the building and the church left the building and I don't know where everybody went. <laughs> so I don't know where the church is. Okay, I gotta stop, it's 1159. Our problem today is we are confusing building with church. I'm begging you. I, I, I ain't left page one. I got five pages up here and I ain't got off page one. I'm begging you to get everybody who belongs to Canaan at this Bible study and bring as many of your unchurched friends as you can. There will be no teaching that I will do in 23 that would be more impactful than what I'm gonna be teaching for the next several weeks on this subject, the order of the house. God bless you today. The people represent the church no matter where we are. So stay connected and reach others as we grow in Christ.